welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Hey Kingdom Culture, we have an exciting guest this morning. So privileged to have Dr. Caroline Leaf with us. She came years ago to speak at our School of Daniel. We just love her and her husband, Mac. They're an incredible couple. But today we have a conversation with her. For those of you that do not know who she is, I want to read her bio to you. It's a little bit intimidating, but let me just read it to you. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a communication pathologist and a cognitive neuroscientist with a master's and PhD in communication pathology and a BSc in logopietics, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. Since the early 1980s, she has researched the mind and brain connection, the nature of mental health, and the formation of memory. She was one of the first in her field to study how the brain can change neuroplasticity, which is what neuroplasticity is, with directed mind input. It's kind of an intimidating uh, bio to read. I have not, maybe I didn't read everything exactly the way it's supposed to be pronounced, but all that to say, without further ado, I want to welcome Dr. Caroline Leaf. Enjoy this interview. Hey, Kingdom Culture, welcome to our live once again. I want to welcome all of our community, all of our extended family from around the world that are watching, and those that are new with us this morning. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Sean Gaby, lead pastor of Kingdom Culture. So excited that you are with us. As many of you know that have been tracking with us, we have been in a season now called Revive 2020. It's a Sunday series that we've been doing for months now, actually, talking about things that we believe that God wants to revive in and through our life. It's been so incredibly powerful. And so today, to continue that, I'm so excited because we have Dr. Caroline Leaf with us. Dr. Caroline Leaf, welcome. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing so well, Sean. It's so great to be back with you again after what six years? Well, six years via Zoom, <laughs> so a hike style <laughs> via Zoom. And you're in Texas, and so I'm assuming you're probably still on some form of quarantine lockdown. Uh, there, no, they've actually opened everything up, which is not the best idea because the the um, cases are rising again. So, I think there's going to be a few changes, as we know. The U.S. has been a bit discoordinated with their whole the whole response, so it's been a bit uncertain for a lot of people. Wow, what a crazy season! Yeah, I remember when you guys came in. I think I believe it was 2014, and we had a great time. You came to our school of Daniel, and you deposited something absolutely incredible and life changing. And so I'm just so thankful that you joined us on this call. And I would love it before we dive into today's subject. Uh, just for time's sake, if you would just give us a little bit of a backdrop of who you are, um, what you do, what you believe, what the kind of the, the studies that you've done over the years, the research you've done, just bring us into a little bit 
of your journey and uh, what you're about. Absolutely. I'd love to. Well, thank you so much. It's really great to be with you guys. And um, I'm very excited to be able to share this information with you because it's just so important to understand. You know, we throw, we throw out scriptures like we have a love power and a sound mind, but and capture, bring all thoughts to captivity and renew your mind. And But I don't think people really fully grasp what that means and how powerful we actually are and what that what is the mind and what is the brain. And so I'm a cognitive neuroscientist and communication pathologist, which pretty much means that I've been studying the mind-brain connection and how we can track what we do and say back to thought patterns, back to how we built the thought in the first place, what's going on in the brain, and the whole connection between mind and brain. So in, to use a sort of spiritual language, we're talking spirits or body. When we talk about science, we're talking the mind-brain connection. And so I'm a scientist, um, first and foremost. I've practiced clinically for 25 years. Um, I now basically write books. I've just finished my 18th book. And we and I go around the world teaching on this mind-brain connection in various different settings. I train physicians. I train people in the mental health community, churches, all over to help people understand the importance of mind. Most people understand mind, but they don't know what mind actually is. And there's a lot of confusion around that. And we also don't always understand the impact of our mind on our physiology. And so that relationship is very important to understand because the fact that we live in a body, we, we need to know how to manage our brain and our body. And so mind is how we do that. So mind is vitally important in terms of how we function. So I started my research back in the 80s. And back in the 80s, we were, we were told that the brain couldn't change. And that I challenged very early on because obviously we're changing all the time. We're growing as humans. So it didn't make sense that we know we as humans are changing and growing and every day new experiences change us. But the science was telling us at that point that the brain couldn't change. So I sort of work with people with traumatic brain injuries, really severely damaged um, brains. And um, I was told by my professors that it was a ridiculous pursuit because if you've dam your brain's damaged, that's it. Just teach your patient to compensate. But I felt there was such a hopeless outlook. And that outlook was applied across the board, all different neurological issues, mental health issues, and so on. And I felt, well, this is not the truth. And so I started doing some of the first neuroplasticity research in in the world in the 80s. So neuroscience and neuro, neuroplasticity were two words that weren't spoken about very much at all in the 80s. Now they're very commonly spoken about neuroscience, neuroplasticity, neurogenesis, all those kind of things. People are very focused on brain. But 30, in, the, in the 80s, that wasn't the case. And so it was it was quite a lonely world. There was only a few of us out there that were really into this thing. But I show that when you are determined, when you, are, when you use your mind, when you deliberately and intentionally manage your mind, mind management, when you deliberately and intentionally manage how you think and feel and choose, which is your mind, you can change your brain structure. You can change your social, emotional, cognitive, behavioral functioning. So I showed that with statistical significance. We saw people that were written off as vegetables going back and doing university degrees and not just one, but thousands. And then I worked in South Africa for 25 years. That's where I was. Um, I was born in Zimbabwe, grew up in South Africa. And I worked in through the pre-apartheid, the apartheid transition in the post-apartheid era. And as you know, apartheid is terrible. Where racism was basically legalized. And, you know, we're seeing this all over the world at the moment. The Thank goodness, the outcry against um, racism, but I worked in, uh, in in those environments and I saw firsthand the effects of racism and the effects on the impact of mental health and education and learning and just the inhumanity of it. So I spent a lot of time researching how 
we can use our mind to overcome these these traumas. And I worked in all different kinds of environments. And now I, I did a lot of research, did a lot of in the field research, and I also now formally doing a lot of clinical trials. And I do I use the gold standard of research, which is double blind random controlled trials. If you don't know what that means, it's the gold standard. And I've done that. I've done different types of research, and I do research this way to be able to really show people that when you understand your mind and you understand mind management and you use and you renew your mind and capture those thoughts and recognize the power of your mind, you can transform not just yourself because it's not just about you, but it starts with you, but it's about you in the world. So then you can have the impact in the world that you should have. So I say all that to say, Sean, that years and years, 38 years of research, clinical expertise, working with we reach millions around the world now, written so many books. I say all of that to say, I can I have I have the knowledge and experience of being able to tell you a very important factor, and that is that mind comes before anything. It's your mind, your ability to think, feel, and choose that God has given us. It is the first order. If you don't get your mind right, you can do all the courses, say all the prayers, use God as a genie, use prayers as a band-aid, use positive affirmations as a band-aid. You can do all, read all the self-help books. You can read, go on every Bible study course that you can think of. But if your mind is not right, it's just information that you're building into your brain. It's not going to transform who you are as a person. So you have to use your mind to manage your mind, which means you've got to understand your mind. So that's been the pursuit of my studies. And we've just done a, a two, two big clinical trials last year. And I was analyzing it now over this, actually over this time of COVID when we were in quarantine and finishing a book or whatever. So I can share some of those results today. But what's amazing is when one of the main results that we found was that when you deliberately and intentionally capture thoughts and renew your mind, which is the spiritual words it's on the on the scientific side when you when you basically are controlling how you think deliberately and intentionally managing your mind you change your brain and you can manage anxiety and depression and improve it by up to 80% i mean that's phenomenal amazing we see massive changes within an individual and organizations in terms of change, when people deliberately and intentionally use their mind correctly, so that's a big picture. Now we can unpack it into the little into the little pieces. Wow, that's amazing! Well, that was an amazing segue into really our subject, which I really want to pull from you, pull from your research, pull from your personal life, and what all that you dove into over the last almost forty years. Like you said, in the eighties, you started your research. You were one of the forerunners and pushing towards this idea that. The brain can, in fact, change, and um, uh, you know our subject today is really revive the mind, getting unstuck. Because I think that, and I believe this, and you're gonna you're gonna help guide us in this conversation about this idea that often we're stuck because of the way we think. We're stuck because of the way that we've wired ourselves, and we have to unwire ourselves and change the way that we think. You have a book called Switch on Your Brain. I love it because for some of us, I know that and I know it's kind of metaphorical in the sense of like some of us, we've had a, a the off switch has been it has has it's been turned off for, for quite some time in a lot of areas. And so we get stuck and and God, I believe, wants us to get unstuck. And so, you know, one of the, the scriptures that I love just to open this up a little bit and then I'm going to ask you a question around this Colossians one, you know, Paul's writing from prison and he's dealing with some major heresy in a church he's never even been to. And he's writing from jail and he's saying, guys, listen, there's all this stuff coming at you. Um, there's Gnostic motivated teaching coming at you. 
And he says this in verse uh, in verse one and two. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Verse two says this, set your mind, set your mind on things above. It's so easy to get so enveloped, so wrapped up in all the things here that we're facing day in and day out. But sometimes I believe that Paul had this amazing understanding of the power of the mind, this amazing understanding that wherever our mind is fixed, whatever our mind is focused has a direct impact on the transformation of one's life. And so that's really what we're talking about today. And so first, before we go into this, because I believe that a lot of people from this conversation are going to find themselves in the next season getting unstuck as they really unravel this this idea of focusing on transforming the mind. But I want to ask you a question because I feel like a lot of people don't really understand this idea about the mind and the brain. Can we talk about that for a second? Is the mind the same thing as the brain? When you talk about switch on your brain, are we talking about the mind or would you separate the two? Can we go there for a little bit? Sure, absolutely. Before I answer that, Sean, I just want to preempt that answer with a very quick statement that when we talk about science, we're talking about spirituality. I just want to make that easy for people to understand up front because a lot of people think, okay, when you talk science, you're not talking God stuff. There's a real real backward thinking in the church across the world. So I always want to just stress that, that science is the same as spirituality. I always say the Bible's the story and science tells us how the story works. Science comes from the word sclera, which means knowledge, and knowledge is all knowledge is from God. So just, just so that people can relax, because I'm going to talk about words like energy. And, and if you don't like the word energy, then you mustn't watch on, you mustn't watch Zoom because it's energy that is helping us to get Zoom working and your cell phone and whatever. So I just want to take some of the mystery um, that has come around words like science and energy. And people tend to switch off and think it's something weird when without, where's all the knowledge coming from? It's coming from God. Science helps us understand that. So um, when we talk about that, so that's just to to sort of preempt the discussion that we're going to be diving into because we're going to be talking a lot of science. If I don't say another scripture, I'm still talking God's stuff because I'm talking about God's knowledge, about how we work. So just, just to help people understand that. Okay, so the mind and the brain are separate but inseparable. So here's an, here's an easy way of understanding it. Here's a model of a brain. So there's a brain. Okay, um, and in a skull, that's a kind of wake up when you see, when you see that kind of thing. So this this is a physical structure. We've been studying it now for years, and in the last thirty years that I've been in thirty eight years, I've been in this field. The, our knowledge of this has just expanded. I mean, the brain is phenomenal, and we are understanding more about it every day. And everything that we thought we knew about the brain keeps changing. So we are advancing almost daily in understanding how the brain works. So a lot of the work I've been involved in as well has been trying to understand what a memory is, what a thought is, how thoughts form in the brain, what is actually going on in here, how does it work, how does this brain actually work, not just on the physiological level and the neurophysiological level, but how does it work in terms of as we as humans are thinking and so on. So that's the brain is physical, made of cells, structures, cells, etc. But the mind is something of a more quantum nature. Quantum means energy. Energy, um, uh, Einstein won the Nobel Prize in, as we know, in 1905, I think it was, for his work on electro, uh, basically on quantum, quantum on, on electromagnetic energy and how we have packets of energy. So I'm just mentioning Einstein because everyone's comfortable with, the, with Einstein. So when I talk about the, when I talk about the mind, I'm talking about a lot of the work that Einstein 
was very mystified by, but he knew was a reality. And he was part of a group of quantum physicists um, and they, they, that were really trying to grapple and understand this ability that we have like right now. We're thinking, we're talking, we're having conversation. You, your, your viewers are all processing this. You're thinking deeply, you're being challenged, etc. We, we go into life and there's all these things going on around us. And So in other words, we are humans experiencing life and we have our philosophies and belief systems and opinions that's all this mind stuff in other words you're not just sitting there as a robot with no processing going on you are a unique individual and you are responding to the experiences of life and this response that you have is mind Mind is very, very spiritual. Mind is separate from the brain. It's huge. Your mind, I like to explain the mind. If you want Christianese, it's the spirit and the soul. So the, it's encompassed within the spirit and the soul. So the mind is the 99% of who we are. And the brain and the body collectively are the 1% of who we are. So the brain and the body are physical. And they're 1% of who, they are, of who we are. The brain and the body collectively are made up of 75 to 100 trillion cells or somewhere in that region. And so that physical component of us is around 1%. It doesn't make them the physical unimportant. It's extremely important because that is what we express our spiritual nature through. So our spirit, when we talk about our spirit, we're talking about our mind or spirit and soul mind, the non-physical. So I can use the words interchangeably now. When I talk about your spiritual nature, I'm talking about your mind um, and I'm talking about the non-physical in science. In science, we refer to it as the non-physical and the physical. So the non-physical and physical interlock and we seen through the advanced sciences like quantum physics, which is considered the most accurate and fundamental of sciences. When we see when you blend in quantum physics, for example, with neuroscience, you can start seeing the relationship between the mind and the brain. So right now, you, all your brains are being activated by what you're hearing and what you're seeing. And that activation is this, uh, you're seeing me, you're seeing Sean, you're seeing this image of the brain, you're hearing sounds, you're aware of the lights and the noise around you and colors and all that. All that is stimulation. It all goes into your brain as quantum energy. And then your brain responds on an electrochemical, electromagnetic, and a, and a quantum energetic level, which means that your brain is receiving your thinking, feeling, choosing response. So all the stimulations coming in, the stimulation makes you think, feel, and choose. And then that's all going through your brain, and your brain is responding. So think of it like a wave. There's a wave of for every bit of information you see and hear, which is all day long, you always experience from the time you open your eyes, you are in, in the immersed in the experiences of life. So these waves of life coming at you, and that is energy. And you think, you, you, you basically focus on it, you think, feel, choose, and then it moves through your brain. You think, feel, choose, you take it in, and then it moves through your brain and your brain responds. And as your brain is responding, right, it, it affects your blood flow, your hormones, your heart. So your thinking is driving the functioning of your body right down to the level of the DNA. So for example, in my most recent clinical trial, we looked at, at, at different things, and one of the things we looked at was the DNA. So if you think of the DNA, it's like a little staircase. We've all seen the twisted staircase of the DNA. And on the DNA, you've got your gene code. And we, we can take from the gene code, we can also get down to the level of chromosomes, okay? So the code is on the chromosomes. But let's look at a chromosome, which is in the DNA. It looks like a little X. And on the end of the chromosome, you have little caps. So you can look at my fingernails. They're like little socks on the ends of chromosomes or like the little plastic thing on shoelaces. So what we see 
is that when you are thinking and feeling and choosing, you basically are influencing everything right down to how those little socks on those chromosomes are functioning. Why is that important? That's important because those little socks, they are being used up constantly as you are thinking, feeling, and choosing. And they're basically, they are used are a part of your cells regenerating. So every every second you make 810,000 cells. And the quality of those cells are determined by the quality of the telomeres and a lot of other stuff too, but these little, little socks. And those are determined by how you're thinking and feeling and choosing, which determined your sleep, how you woke up this morning, how you function during the day. So your mind is your thinking, feeling, choosing energy, and it's affecting everything right down to how these things are functioning. So we see when people are stuck, when they don't have a revived mind, when they're not renewing their mind, when they're not capturing thoughts, when they're just reacting, when they are just getting caught up in anxiety and depression and frustration and worry and anguish and all, and just like zooming from one thing to the next or falling from one thing to the next chaotically, we see many, many consequences, but one is that these telomeres shorten. And when they shorten, your cell health fun is, is, um, is affected. Your cells of your brain, your cells of your body will be negatively affected. So we saw within a short period, just in nine weeks, we saw people's telomeres shorten significantly by uh, significantly in making their biological age, which is the age of your organs, um, older than your actual age. So we had like some of the subjects that uh -oh. were biological age was up to 20 to 30 years older than the actual age. So we had 35 years old with a 65-year-old cell health. And that goes for the brain and the body. So you can, I'm telling you this just for you to get a picture in your mind that the direct influence, there's others, obviously what you eat and all these things are also, all the lifestyle factors are influenced. But the main factor that influences physiological functioning is what you do with your mind. So mind is separate from brain, but mind completely impacts brain because mind uses brain and body to express itself. Wow. So therefore, if your mind's a mess, your brain and body will be a mess. But if you're, we saw in, those, in the same clinical trials, when you teach people to manage their mind, which is bring thoughts into captivity, renew your mind, all that stuff, or everything that we're supposed to be doing, which we can talk about in more depth, we saw the telomeres significantly lengthen. So instead of shortening, they got longer. So people's biological age then decreased and it, and it matched their chronological age. And so their cell health improved. And that's just one level. I mean, I'll throw in other things that so happen. What you're saying really is that as they get longer, health happens, right? Exactly. The transformation happens. And I, I, I love what you said about how the mind and brain, they're separate, but yet inseparable in the sense that, that one influences the other. Because really what... You're saying, and I want to read this out of Romans 12. You've kind of referenced it without referencing it because I love how you you talk about how this our spirituality is connected and interlinked with science. And Romans 12, I mean, Paul wrote this, and he's, I mean, he talks over and over again about the mind. All throughout, about, uh, all throughout his letters, you see it over and over again about the mind, the mind, the mind. And he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 out of the Passion Translation, I love how it's worded here. It says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, which actually means to, to not be squeezed into the mold of this present age. But then it says this, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think, total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. I love that because... 
it really encapsulates this idea of the evidence of a transformed mind. The evidence of a healthy mind is a transformed life. It's the metamorphosis of who we are. It's the blossoming of who we are. I think a lot of us have been stuck for so long because of how we think. I mean, we see it in Proverbs as a man thinks, so is he. We become the very image of what we think about ourselves. I mean, the Bible says that we can't, if, if we can't love ourselves, we can't love our neighbor. And we get stuck because of a bad perspectives about ourselves. And it, like you've been saying without even really saying it, it's like rewiring our brain. It's, it's like our brain is rotting because of how we think about ourselves. And I'd love for you to talk about, give us some practical tools on how do we take this scripture, Romans 12, how do we practically apply it? Because one of the things that I know you're really good at is you've you've been able to help people establish scalable, practical solutions on how they can rewire their brain, which which you're connecting is to the mind, which you're ultimately connecting to the spirit and soul. So if the transformation of our life is the evidence of a revived, healthy mind getting us unstuck in life, how do we do that? What are some practical tools? You know, we've heard it takes 21 days. It takes 61 days to, or 21 or 61. I've heard 62. I can't remember the exact number. You can bring us along the journey here to un, to, to, to rewire our thinking, to change the brain. Talk about that. How do we practically do it? Okay. Well, just to answer that, basically what we need to do is recognize or each understand, first of all, is that our brain is neuro. Plastic neuro means brain, plastic means to change. So the big thing is you can change your brain. And that is what neuroplasticity is. And that's what um, was not accepted until the 90s. Well, in the late 80s, myself and a lot of our colleague, my, my colleagues were studying that. But basically, you change your brain. So you're using mind to change matter, which is very, very powerful. So the love, power, and sound mind that we have is actually changing matter. It is mind over matter. Wow. Okay? So there, there is obviously, and just having, I uh, just want to quickly put in a proviso. We do, we are in living in a world of chemicals, fast food, and people not, you know, people also being very succumbing to a lot of uh, bad habits, like with technology and that kind of stuff. And that in itself is also putting stuff in your brain. So whatever you eat, whatever you drink. <coughs> Sorry, whatever you, um, whatever you're exposed to in the environment is also going in your brain and affecting how your brain functions. But you, you with your mind can, you can make choices about what you're going to eat, about what you're going to exercise, how you're going to exercise, how you control chemicals, etc. Because all of those change the brain. Every experience your brain has is driven by your thinking. Your thinking then leads to what you eat, what you do, how you react, where you go, what you put in your body. So your mind is driving everything. So it's very, the first very practical thing is, is to understand mind is controlling it all, even down to the point of what you eat. But if you, so if you just mindlessly eat the modern American diet or processed food, you are damaging the brain. You're going to have high levels of sugar in your brain. You're going to have, um, you're basically setting yourself up for dementias. If you're living on a multiplicity of psychotropic drugs, you're setting yourself up for dementias. If you're living on constantly putting chemicals in your body, not working on your GI, you know, the, the brain-brain connection, these are all realities, but it's your mind because I can tell you how to eat a healthy, how, how to eat a healthy way, but you're going to have to make the mind decision to do that. So I'm using food as an example because it's an easy example. It's not as easy to, when we talk about thinking, it's always, it's easier to, we can all picture doing exercise and we can all picture eating healthy. But when it comes to getting our mind, 
using our mind to control our mind, it's a little bit of a harder concept to understand. So we, to use our mind to make decisions about food, I get that. To use my mind to make decisions about exercise and, and et cetera, I get that. But when it comes to controlling the chaos of our minds, that's where we lose it a little bit. And that's got a lot to do with really un- not understanding what the mind is. So I'm going to come back and redefine mind. And then I'm going to talk about certain principles and then take us into some practical stuff. If that's okay. Mind is how you think, how you feel, and how you choose. So that's your definition of mind. So mind is how you think, how you feel, and how you choose. Very, very important that you get a hang of. Which, which really, sorry to interrupt you, which really is a great definition of the soul. So, yes, when we talk about mind, we are talking about the soul. So we're talking about the spirit and the soul. So we're talking about that almost you know that that invisible that the bible talks about so the invisible and that's the connection to god so bishop barclay 350 years ago said if god wasn't looking no one would exist and i use that to just contextualize the fact that our spirit and our soul are this energy that is connected to god so like we plug our cell phone into charge we plugged into god that is the source of all who's this, you know god is the source of all energy 95 percent of quantum physicists agree that um as humans our ability to think and feel and choose is the most fundamental and important thing, and that it is connected to a supernatural force. Isn't that amazing? Wow. So, that's very simplified. Wow. They use much more technical language, but essentially, mind is considered in quantum physics, which is considered the most accurate and fundamental of all sciences and explains all the other sciences. So it explains classical physics, explains everything. It's the core of all the biologies, all the sciences. You wow. Everything about how the world works, it's fundamental. And that fun, and I always stress this because the fundamentality of quantum physics is talking about the spirit. It's literally talking about our spirit, our, the, the spirit and soul combination, which is our mind, which is our ability to think, feel, and choose. So you're always thinking, feeling, and choosing. It's a trifecta. They work together. When you think, you feel. When you feel, you choose. When you think, feel, and choose, you're doing this 24-7. It's done so fast. On your spiritual level, you're doing it at 10 to the 27, which is more than 400 billion actions per second, which is in infinitely faster than the speed of light. You know, we always talk about the speed of light being it. It's not. The speed of light is slow, okay, compared to the power of the mind. So we we experience this incredible speed of thinking, feeling, and choosing. We experience that consciously around about every 10 seconds. So more or less every 10 seconds, we kind of get this a little bit of an awareness of ourself or what we're thinking or what we're experiencing. So around about six times a minute, and we, I know we don't consciously, I'm just giving you the, the science and the mathematics, but I'm taking this to a point, is that we have been, our brain and our mind, the relationship has been designed in such a way that our thinking, feeling, choosing mind, which is super fast, which uses the brain, um, we, and, and as it uses the brain, we get these experiences of conscious awareness around about every 10 seconds. So the conscious mind is only awake when you're awake. The non-conscious mind, that spirit soul level, is awake 24-7. So the mind's got two components, this huge mind that's connected to God, that's the biggest part of us, this 99% part of us, has got a conscious element that's only awake when you're awake, and then it's got a non-conscious element that's awake 24-7. And it's there that all our thoughts with all the the memories and emo- the, the emotional memories and the informational memories and everything are stored, our belief systems, everything you've been, been exposed to, etc. Well, can I, can, I just, can I just ask you a question really quick? What, would you say that the because you mentioned the conscious mind and the unconscious mind 
the conscious mind that's awake 24 seven, would you call that the spiritual consciousness of a person versus the natural, let's call it natural just for, for terminology sake, the natural consciousness, would that just be, you know, like you said, when you're awake, so it's like the, 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 there's a spiritual side and a natural side. Would you, would you call it, can you call it that? I wouldn't call it that at all. Okay. No, because all of us are spiritual. We, we are spiritual beings through and through. We just express us, our spirituality in a different way. So we've got on our non-conscious mind, we can't see, we can understand it a little bit using quantum physics and then obviously spirituality, philosophy, the way, just, just the mere fact that we are humans that can think and feel and choose all those, that, that, that big stuff, that, that stuff that explains the uniqueness of you and, and how a man, how we write and write books and think about things and philosophy, all that is the, that's the um, evidence, free will, choice, etc. The, the choices people make, that is kind of the evidence of this, the spiritual nature that we can't, um, that we can't really see, but we know exists. So mind the, the, so all of that can be called mind. And then that mind has, and then we have the physical brain and body. So mind's massive. It's infinite and it is, it's so huge and so fast. But within mind, the circle of mind, we have the split of the non-conscious and the conscious mind. So it's not so much the natural, and the, that's, that's not the correct way of looking at it. Conscious means you're awake. Non-conscious, N-O-N means that uh, is, is basically where the intelligence resides, where the wisdom resides, where this action, this really super fast action resides. The conscious mind is much slower than the non-conscious mind. Unconscious means something different, UN, unconscious. We People often refer to the unconscious mind, but unconscious means you knocked out from you, you, someone knocked you on the head and knocked you out, or you've had an anesthetic or something. That's unconscious. Non-conscious is not asleep. Non-conscious is a 24-7 dynamic humongous part of us and that's where that's where all of our memories are stored within thoughts and that's part of our mind and then we've got our conscious part is what's only awake when you're awake so that's then the experience of life we use the conscious mind to experience life and to tune in to the wisdom of the non-conscious mind because when we are aware of something that we can change it so if we to take to make this really easy to understand mind is then this Huge thing. We've got this conscious part that's that moves a bit slower at two thousand actions per second, only awake when you're awake. And then you've got the non-conscious part that's operating twenty-four-seven, operating at about four hundred billion actions per second. It's in that non-conscious part where all of our memories, which are housed within thoughts, are stored, and they keep changing. They keep adding. Every moment you're experiencing something, you're adding more to the non-conscious mind. So it's massive, and it's all connected to God, who's the energy source. So without God, we can't survive. So Job 32, 8, the breath of life. So the brain is just the physical that it works through. So obviously, whatever our mind is doing on this non-conscious and conscious level is going to be expressed through the brain and through the body, through the DNA, like I explained earlier on. And it impacts, obviously, then the, the physical is going to um, be experiencing the effects of the, of, the, of the mind. So mind, this big thing, Think, feel, choose. We think, feel, choose on a non-conscious level, which is the fastest part of us, always awake, where the intelligence is. We think, feel, and choose on a conscious level, but only when we're awake. So right now, you and I have got our conscious and our non-conscious mind working. Now, here's the power. The power resides in the non-conscious and conscious and the relationship between them. So when we talk about 
connecting with the Spirit of God or being having a leading by of the Holy Spirit or praying to the Spirit of God or being led by the Spirit of God, all the terminology we use. The science of that is that you are using your conscious mind deliberately and intentionally to tune in to your wisdom, which is your tuning in, tuning into your non-conscious mind, which is where wisdom is, because that's directly connected to God. Wow. You're tuning into the Spirit of God, but you can choose to not tune into the Spirit of God. You can never switch off because you'd be dead. So whether you believe in God or not, the fact that we were alive, as Bishop Barclay said, is because we connected to God. But we don't necessarily tune into that wisdom. So we have our own internal level of wisdom because God's made us brilliant. But we that wisdom is accelerated and enhanced when we tune into the Spirit of God, when we tune into true wisdom. I love that because it's, it's almost like I think about Job 33. It, talk, it talks about how God may speak in one way or another in a dream or in a vision of the night. When people are slumbering on their beds, God opens the ears of men. When I, when you say it like that, it kind of shifts the language because it's almost like when we're sleeping, a dream is like God choosing to lean into us to get our non-conscious, what you're talking about, our non-conscious, because that's always awake. Even though our conscious is asleep, our non like would you call a dream then? It, it's it's a dream would be then in the non-conscious state, like God interacting with us when our conscious state is asleep. Can I say it like that? You can do because that's one of the that's one of the things that, that a dream is. A dream is definitely that connection with what we would call in science the non-local mind. So we can we and we see that in the brainwave. So I use technology in my research called QEEGs, where we can look at the different the energy response in the brain with the different brain waves. So you may have heard of delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma. You may have heard of those things. It's quite it's spoke people speak about that quite a lot in the general media sort of thing. It's a brilliant way of understanding and seeing what is how the brain is responding to the mind. And so, for example, when people are in deep sleep we get a lot of bursts of what we call delta energy in the brain. And that shows, and that's doing a lot of stuff regeneratively in the brain and the body. It's allowing, for example, for um, telomerase, which is an enzyme that you need for the little telomeres. It's allowing that to be released. It's allowing a a hormone called BDNF, which is necessary for you to be able to grow cells, uh, to actually grow brain cells the next day. It releases growth hormone, which enables you to just function the next day and all kinds of stuff. So there's a massive regeneration of stuff happening when you're sleep and your non-conscious is driving the effectiveness of the regeneration during the course of the day you are thinking feeling and choosing and building thoughts which we'll touch on in a moment but at night time you sort out the thoughts so dreams come from two places dreams are coming from three places the regeneration process which is creating a lot of chemical and electrical activity which is causes these bursts of memories to kind of be woken up so we get these jumbled so it's a kind of housekeeping function um, that you that you it's a regenerative housekeeping function and then I suppose so on a physical and a mental level so that's the two the third one is yes the connection with the non-local mind in other words the connection with God so where we can connect and you can even I mean this really sounds weird but this is also in the Bible and it's totally scientific we can even connect with other people in our dreams you know there's like because we are all immersed in wisdom the heaven is at hand it's not like heaven's up there you know this we've got to get away from that medieval type thinking and get into the fact that God is beyond space and time. So basically we're also connecting with each other. We're entangled in each other's lives. So that can happen, you know, in dreams you can sense things and that's wisdom. We we, we go through a trauma, for example, we often block the trauma initially. 
because we can't handle it. But there needs to come a time where we do deal with it. But our body, when we, if we have the confidence in who we are as humans, we have got enough wisdom in our non-conscious mind. And when we connect it with God, we've got even more wisdom to know what we can handle. Wow. But so I try and teach yeah. people the recognition that you're actually much wiser than you think you are. But we live in a world, Sean, that's told us that you have to rely on what we call a biomedical model, which is a very neuroreductionistic model, which means quite frankly, I mean, quite simply that you are your brain, but you're not your brain. You so much, your brain is only part of who you are as a human. So we have a model and it's been dominating for about 60 years now. And it's very unfortunate because it ignores this 99% spiritual stuff and focuses on a very physical thing. So any mind experience, any experience that you're having is seen as a disease of the brain if it's, if it's not so-called normal. So for example, now, People are worried that there's going to be a new pandemic in mental health. All the wrong language that's being used. Because, yes, people are battling, and it's quite normal. It's not abnormal. What they're saying, they're saying that mental illness is going to increase. And they treat mental stuff as an illness like cancer, but it's not even remotely like cancer or diabetes. It's a completely different thing. Those affect the physical body, and there's something that's breaking and going wrong. The mind, when the mind is battling, it's in response to life. It's in response to the experiences of life. So obviously being isolated, losing money, losing loved ones, whole life changing, the uncertainty, those are life experiences. So the, the emotional depression, anxiety, etc., that people are feeling in response to the quarantine and what's going on in the world and the racism and, and the uprisings and all that kind of thing is a very normal human response. We're not mentally ill. There isn't a rise in mental illness. There is a normal response of humans to human, human things happening. And we just have a lot happening at the moment. There's always a lot happening, but there's a really 2020 is a unique time frame and it's been building. This whole the pandemic, the way we're thinking, it's been building because for 60 years, you choose to ignore the spirit. You choose to ignore the warning signals from the earth in terms of climate change, etc. We ignore, we go immersed in technology, advances in technology, which are amazing, but we don't manage it. We have advances in medicine, but we don't manage it. We abuse it. So on the one hand, we're growing forward with medicine and technology. And it's all mind-driven. You think, feel, choose to develop technology. You think, feel, choose to develop medicine. It doesn't happen like magic. Men are and women are using their brilliance to, to learn, get knowledge, and change. But with the growth of knowledge comes responsibility, and there's been a disconnect. We're not connecting between the growth in intellect and development and how we're managing our mind. So we haven't kept it. There's a gap that's formed between the advance those advances in medicine and technology and mankind. So what we did was we reverted for the last 60 years to everything being very physical and ignored the spiritual development. And you can't do that. So it'll crash. And that's what we see happening now. We From 2014, it started. People started dying younger, 15 to 25 years younger, with the advances in medicine, the age group most affected, 24 to 65-year-olds. So you talk about reviving the mind. We're in an era where we're going backwards because we've ignored the mind. So if we don't revive the mind, we will continue to go backwards because you can't ignore this huge part of us that actually drives everything else. So you're using your mind to drive this development in humanity, but then you're not growing your mind and you're ignoring it. And we're not allowing ourselves to feel, to be emotional, to explore, to have new, normal human experiences. We're locking people up. We're drugging them. We're giving them medications that increase chances of dementia, shorten lifespan by 25 years. And I'm referring to things like antidepressants, which scientifically have been shown not to heal, but to damage. You know, and so we're not allowing our kids to experience 
first. We're not, as soon as someone said, they're not normal. And so we've medicalized misery. We've made, we've pathologized normal human suffering. And that cannot carry on. And it's, it's, it's in, in this COVID time now where we've been forced to slow down forced to look at our lives differently people are thinking again and they don't know what to do with their emotions so they're freaking out and it's been labeled as a pandemic but it's not it's wonderful sure because it means people are going to think feel and choose they're going to tap into the non-conscious mind and they're going to find a lot of stuff in there that they don't like there's a lot of toxicity inside of us and that's also part of being a human what we have to do is get in the garden. I know you've got a question. And then after that, I'll explain what I mean by that. So, yeah. And I, I love what you're saying. Cause I mean, there's so many people watching that struggle with yes, mental illness, but also struggle in this season. I know there's a, there's lots of good coming out of the season, but then there's the other element of, because we live in a media age, a media driven age, we're so aware, like all the things you shared, like the facts, the statistics, it can be overwhelming. And so in a season like this, a lot of people can get stuck in their head, like overthinking everything, overwhelmed with life, overwhelmed with how this is going to end, how it's going to look, how the economy is going to look after we come out of this, how their business, their job, others, there's an overwhelming sense of, of just overthinking everything. And, you know, I'd love for you to break down and dive into this. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse five says, Take every thought captive. How do we do that practically from your vantage point in a season where there are lots of thoughts bombarding us through what we're seeing on the news, what we're hearing about in the world? It's overwhelming and we're in our own head a lot more because maybe we're alone more. Maybe we're not around people as much as we were. I know for us still in Ontario, we're only in phase two. We can only meet with no more than 10 people still. And this has been since middle of March. And so... You know, we're at a place where I think a lot of people, and I know it's, it's worse in other countries, but they're just stuck in their head. So how do we take every thought captive? How do we rewire our brain practically in this season, come out of this stronger, deal with our trauma, deal with the toxicity that, you know, that rotten tree that you just showed us? How do we do this practically uh, moving forward? Okay, so we, so, so you, so we, the good news is that we designed to be consciously aware as I mentioned earlier on, every 10 seconds. Now, that is powerful. That means that we are designed to be aware of our thinking, feeling, and choosing. We're designed to capture our thoughts. That's what I'm saying. We're designed to be self-aware. Um, and that's part of our non-conscious and our physical. So it's part of our mind, non-conscious and conscious mind, that design, as well as our physical brain. So the first step in anything is self-regulation. We have to self-regulate. And self-regulation has diminished over the last 60 years. And we see that with a lot of the, the research that we do in the thinking experiments, that you never don't stop thinking. You're always thinking. We're always thinking when you think, you always feel when you think and feel you choose. So that's always happening. What's not happening, Sean, is that people are not self-regulating. This quarantine time has actually made people, you said you said the words awareness, You've, they've actually made people, people are self-regulating because they've stowed down enough from the busyness of life to actually become much more aware of how they feel physically and mentally and they're thinking about things they're thinking and they're having feelings and they and they're making choices and it's kind of a new experience for a lot of people so it's made people very frightened and there's a lot of misinformation around uh, mental illness and around mind so when people start feeling these emotions that they've suppressed for so long and they've got stuck in they get frightened because there's suddenly this whoosh of experience 
experiences. So the first thing is to recognize that we've got that we are designed to self-regulate and we need to self-regulate. And it's in, in absolutely imperative that we self-regulate. And self-regulation brings with it awareness. And awareness brings up a lot of stuff that we've been very good at shoving down, which is part of the problem of the modern era, where we just keep ourselves busy all the time with, with everything, technology and, and everything we be so efficient at being busy that we've forgotten how to really think deeply. And our brain cannot reboot properly if we don't take time to think deeply. We should have thinker moments every hour. We should have at least a ten, at least two or three ten-minute times in the day where you just daydream. We should be managing. There's a whole lot of stuff that we should be doing in terms of self-regulation. But self-regulation is the way we start. Self-regulation is an awareness of what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What am I choosing in this moment now? It's training yourself, retraining yourself to be intensely aware of, like, for example, now you and I are talking. I'm aware of my hands. I'm aware of my body movement. I'm aware of you nodding, me nodding, us responding, my tone of voice, what I'm about to say, my impact on you in the audience, you thinking of the next question. In other words, I'm aware. I'm now just having said this, I've changed your awareness already. So, so and I've changed the audience's awareness. Because as soon as, and that's what you want to do, you want to develop that. That is a God-given gift to be aware of how am I responding in this moment? Why am I responding like this? That is what it means to bring a thought into captivity. Now look over here, I've got this little plant. Okay, this is a little green plant and this is a thought. Okay, so we've been talking about thinking, feeling and choosing. We've been talking about mind. Mind is how we think, feel and choose. Those three always go together. You can't separate them. So when you think, feel and choose, you actually create something because you generate energy through the brain. So as you think, feel, and choose, you are going to generate energy through the brain. The brain responds and builds proteins. It responds, the genes switch on. You switch genes on in your brain. You build proteins. Those proteins hold what you're hearing and seeing and grow into little branches. So this is a thought tree, and it's in your brain, and this is what you're growing at the moment as you're listening to me. It's in the in, on, on neurons. These are neurons in your brain, and the top parts are called dendrites, these little branches, and then you get what you call the axon, and, and they, don't worry about the rest of the structure. But basically, this is a thought tree. It looks like trees in your brain. So you are growing these, and you've got the billions of these in your brain. You've been growing these. Every moment you experience, as you open your eyes, you're growing these. At nighttime, you sort these out. So you think you use your mind which is your think, feel, choose to grow thoughts in response to life. You build that into your brain. So these trees are being built into the brain and you're changing how your brain functions. So if I'm aware of my thinking, feeling and choosing, what's the logical conclusion? I can control what these look like. If I am, if I am aware of my thinking, feeling and choosing, I'm aware of the kind of thought I'm building. What is a thought? It's a tree looking thing and it's got branches. What are these branches? These branches hold information so like each little branch is holding information about like right now you've built probably at this point about oh, close to a thousand branches of the information that you've heard each with a little piece of information so there's a branch here about what is mind what is non-conscious what is conscious what is the brain and how many all the stuff i've been saying you've grown you have listened to me and grown branches you've made proteins you've changed structure there's also emotions attached to this so the little leaves that are shining these chemicals neurotransmitters and proteins all mixed together in a tree the neurotransmitters are showing oh 
emotional memories that you've just built in relation to the information I'm giving you, which may be um, surprise, excitement, interest, um, all kinds of things. So there's the information memories in this tree and there's the emotion memories in this tree. You're also getting a physical response in your body because your brain, this thought immediately sends a message to your entire body. So the DNA of your entire body, every cell of your body is also having got a little snapshot of this memory inside of it. So you build it in your mind to your brain and then into your DNA and all at such fast speed we can't even process that. So that's why we feel it in our body. So someone who's experienced a trauma, for example, they were raped or they've been in they're a vet that were in the war or they had some traumatic experience or even with COVID now losing people, death, losing a loved one or the shock and so on, that, that's trauma. So now you push the trauma down, you don't think about it for a long time and then something triggers it and that trauma comes up. You will remember the information you will remember the emotions or the informational memories come back, the emotional memories come back, and the physical memories come back. So if it's a toxic experience, it doesn't look as pretty as the green tree. I use this wiry tree to show that. So you, you're always building, you're always going to be building wiring into your brain. When you think, feel, choose, you build. So whether it's think, feeling, choosing in response to a good thing, you're going to build a healthy thought. Bad thing, you build a toxic thought. These, this is a toxic thought. So it's a toxic thought with toxic emotions and toxic information memories, toxic emotion memories, toxic information memories, and then toxic response in our body. So if we don't deal with this, if we shove it down, and maybe a, a trauma happened when you were young, maybe you were physically abused or something like that, um, and then you go into a relationship and this is now governing because you've never dealt with it. It's governing a relationship and you go into, you find you go into a major depression and you don't know why you're depressed and you go to the doctors and then they tell you that you've got clinical depression and they put you on medication. They tell you you've got an illness like cancer. That's a big lie. You do not have an illness like cancer. This is nothing. Your depression is nothing like that. The, this depression is massive. It's 99%. To tell you you've got, um, you've, got, uh, you've got an illness of depression in your brain, that there's something in your brain jumping out and making you feel depressed is an insult. They're trying to validate something in, with a 1% validation, which is a 99% thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's massive. This is a mind thing. So what we have here is depression, which is not an it. It is a warning signal. That is moving from your non-conscious mind through your subconscious into your conscious. And it's popping and then it goes back down because we don't want to, we don't deal with it. So we get stuck. So we shove it back down. So then, then uh, because this is creating a ball of toxic energy in, it's real, it's causing brain damage in the brain. It's causing toxic ball of energy. Energy doesn't disappear. Energy transfers. So God's designed us through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We connect to the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit speaks to our non-conscious and says, hey, Wake up. You've got free will. We're not robots. God doesn't fix it for us, but God prompts us. Mm. See, the prompt from the Spirit of God that I'm feeling depressed. What do I need to do? Sean, I need to get in the garden. So now we talk about Jesus. Now this whole thing will fall into place. Let's talk about Jesus in the garden. And I'm not talking about the, the traditional way that we always talk about Jesus in the garden. I'm going to talk about mind and Jesus in the garden. And Jesus models for us the practical steps of what we're supposed to do. So Jesus got in the garden. Not to go and have a party, to go and face a tremendously challenging situation. The key words here is face. Jesus didn't deny, suppress. Jesus faced. Okay, so we've got to get in the garden. We have to face these issues. What was the prompt for Jesus to go in the garden? There was the whole prompt of him 
with the message and his, his message was being denied. So he had to go, he knew that he had to get in the garden to face this, this, this big issue that only he could face, which is get on the cross so that he could be resurrected again in order to take the sin of man, whatever that, that big comp complex concept, which we won't unpack theologically now, but it's pretty much all the things that we can experience. So therefore Jesus had depression, had anxiety, had OCD, whatever name you want to call it. It's, it's, it's human anguish. So every emotion you can understand. So Jesus knew that Jesus had to demonstrate and model for us what it means to be human. And what it means to be human is that life is full of tough experiences. You're brilliant. You can think, feel, and choose. You're in the experiences of life. And because you can choose, you're going to choose wrong. And so is everyone else around you. Therefore, there's a bunch of people around you making terrible decisions, which will affect you. And affect each other because it's not just about you it's about you in the world so whatever you're doing is affecting the whole of humanity so the not paying attention to climate change isn't just you being whatever it, you, it affects everyone else in the world you having a very racist attitude and not dealing with your implicit bias affects not just you but everyone else in the world because it's not about you it's about you in the world so jesus shows that it wasn't about jesus just facing the cross it was jesus showing us that in the world we have all got responsibility because we all affect each other and we've all got to face it. We live in a world that says, oh, you feel sad. Let me give you a drug to suppress it. Oh, you feel sad. Whack on a scripture. You mustn't feel sad. I've got to, I've got to be happy all the time. That is not what Jesus did throughout Jesus' life. We saw his emotions go up and down. We saw Jesus facing emotions. We saw Jesus embracing emotion. So the first thing in self-regulation, in this overarching concept of self-regulation, which we can do every 10 seconds, is we've got to get in the garden like Jesus did, and we've got to have the courage to face the issues of life. And it's hard. In other words, that depression that keeps popping up, that anxiety that keeps popping up, don't shove it back down. Get in the garden. It's messy. It's painful. It takes time. Jesus was in the garden for a period of time. Jesus was on the cross for a period of time. Time is a big factor. I've studied the science of memory formation, the science of memories forming inside thoughts, and it takes 21 days to form a long-term thought, but it takes 63 days to form a habit, not 21. So it takes 63 days before you form something that has an impact on your behavior. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The so is he takes 63 days to form. So you can do something for three or four days. It's not going to do anything. 21 days is not even going to do anything. You have to do 63 days for behavior change to occur. So we see this time um, time factor being demonstrated in the garden, that things are going to take time. But it starts with us being comfortable with the uncomfortable, being embracing the depression, embracing the anxiety. Stop, stop being embarrassed about it. Stop thinking that you're a bad Christian because you're depressed. It's good if you're depressed. Celebrate the depression. Celebrate the anxiety. Celebrate the anguish. Not because you're celebrating that per se, but because it's telling you you something so you're celebrating the story behind it because only when you're aware of something can you crucify it okay you can't crucify what you don't know so therefore when we get in the garden we embrace in order to process so i am depressed or i am anxious or i am worried or i am in fear about or whatever so i get in the garden and i face it's sore it's painful i'm crying but I'm in the garden, so I'm in the love zone. So you're freaking out in the love zone. Cry, scream, shout, experience. So we're facing that issue. Okay, very important that we embrace it. And now, now I've got to start the work of processing, which is what did Jesus do in the garden? He didn't just sit and say silly prayers. And I'm not meaning silly prayers in a facetious way. He didn't just go and repeat words. He got in conversation with God. And that conversation was 
why does man do what man does? Why have we even begun to give him free will? Why does man have free will? Look at the dumb choice or whatever. I'm just making up. But Jesus processed through. Look at the depression. Look at the, the terrible trauma that man does. All of it was what Jesus um, faced in the garden. But he faced it. And he looked at why. Why do we do that? Because we're thinking wrong. There's a thought behind the depression. There's the trauma. There's the anger. There's the the issue. Um, the the tra- the trauma in in childhood. There's the bullying experience. There's the um, rape experience. There's the bad marriage experience. There's the isolation experience. There's the um, like someone telling you that you're useless in second grade experience that you've never dealt with. You've got to face those because until you're consciously aware. You can't deal with them. You have to pull them up and you have to put them on the cross. So it's embrace and process. Processing means it's going to get worse before it gets better. The pain will increase. It's hard to look at these things. You're going to feel all kinds of emotions and it's safe to feel them. We've been told it's not safe to feel them, but it is safe. When we start saying things like, I I am feeling um, that anguish because of, not I am anguish. Don't ever say I am anguished. I feel anguish because. I feel fear because. And try and be as specific as you can because now you're starting to label and pull apart. And as you do that, we see neuroscientifically that when a thought is moving into the conscious mind, it becomes weakened. And I'm shaking this thing now. When something is weak, it means it can be changed. So scientifically, for something to be changed in the brain, you have to be consciously aware of it. You have to pull it up from the non-conscious mind, which means get in the garden embrace and process and then we can change so changing it means it will get worse before it gets better jesus went from the garden to get getting beaten to getting on the cross the pain of getting on the cross the dying on the cross time pain one pain and he didn't ever pull away but he experienced it and he didn't hide from it. And that's the model. We live in this unrealistic model in the church, which is, oh, don't ever confess anything negative. That's wrong because we're not embracing it. We're not processing it. We're suppressing it. People are stuck, Sean, because they are not effacing and processing. You've got to embrace, you've got to process, and you've got to reconceptualize. And then reconceptualizing is processing. It's getting worse, gets on the cross. It's worse before it gets better. We call this the treatment effect. And then you will rise again. Jesus rose again. You will get through it, but you will get through it with the battle scars. So it doesn't mean you've suppressed it, but you've now reconceptualized. So yes, you were raped as a child. Yes, your father hit you on the head or your mother this or your dad this or your friend this or your or you had you your identity was not recognized and you attempted suicide or you were just so anguished from a terrible experience, whatever. You've now you've gone through the pain and it's now transformed this is this these the energy's been removed from here, this weakened one, and I've reconceptualized and built a healthy new thought. Yes, it's green. I can still talk about what happened and I can still cry, but the sting has been removed. It is now my testimony. The trial that was capturing me and getting me stuck has now become my testimony. And this is the lifestyle of renewing the mind. You can't do this once. This is a lifestyle. So what I did was develop techniques and programs and test these clinically. And the most recent one that I tested in my clinical trial, I put into an app now. So switch on your brain, which is what you were talking about earlier on, has now been advanced even more, the technique that's in there. And I've now got an app. We can send you the link. And this app's called Switch. 
And it's, it's basic. You can get on Google and iTunes. So it's this how to do what I've just described, embrace, process, reconceptualize through self-regulation, through the five steps of mind management. It's, there's, a, there's a technique called the five steps of mind management. You do it over the 63 days. I walk you through it. I guide you through it. It's a lifestyle. I'm always doing 21-day. We call them 21-day detox because everyone's familiar with that. But 21 doesn't. It's three sets of 21. So 21 days to, to actually pull it up and embrace, process, and reconceptualize. And then it's another 42 days to make to give this thing enough energy that it now dominates and it does this doesn't come back. Now, would you say that it takes one day to lose it all? Like what what's the what's the opposite of that? So 2163, what's the opposite? 63 as well. So it starts. So you can so if you if you so once you've got if you've automatized, if you've gone to the 63-day point, this thing's very strong. And the more you use it, the stronger it gets. But you can have a trigger and something can happen in your life and the memory of this, which is now reconceptualized and this can come back. Now I have a choice to make. I can embrace it and look at, okay, I got through that. And yes, this may be a similar situation, but I got through it before. What did I do? Let me use the same tools. Let me, whatever. Um, I can do that and then I can keep strong and I can manage the new situation. So there's a new branch and a whole lot of stuff added. Or I can say, okay, that happened for then. This is another situation. I can't deal with this. And you can choose to ignore that wisdom and you can rewire another toxic issue. And we do that all the time. We make wrong choices all the time. But this is where self-regulation comes in. Because as we, as I say in my, in my, in my detox, you're supposed to, it's a lot, renewing of the mind, I-N-G. It's a constant. So I've designed this, that, and all my patients, and we've got millions around the world now doing this, is you spend 7 to 16 minutes a day working on a toxic issue. Not the whole day. You spend 7 to 16 minutes a day detoxing. But then that skill that you learn, because there's five steps involved in that process, in this embracing, processing, reconceptualizing, you then apply that concept. You train your brain in that time in the morning. You then apply it during the course of the day. And I call them five-step hacks. But basically, you can then apply this five-step thinking all the time. So what I'm saying is that you're renewing. I've, I've given you a technique, a scientific technique, based on science and scripture, which is the same thing, basically, on how to constantly be in a state of renewing your mind, how to constantly be speaking to the Spirit of God. So this is pretty much how to pray constantly. That's what this app is teaching, how to pray amazing. constantly. That's amazing. And I, I think what stands out, just as we shift here, I think what stands out in the last part of what you said is that we have to, like Jesus, face it and embrace it. Face the fear, face the anguish, face the sadness, the pain, but then also embrace it. I think there's a misconception that uh, a lot of people have where they confuse embracing something to finding identity in it. And you're not saying find identity with feeling depressed. You're just saying embrace it. Take it as uh, a tool that's giving you awareness of what's taking place in your brain so that then you can enter a 21-day you know, detox process, within it, which, which then initiates a 63-day transformation. That's really what you're saying. It's exactly that, and I and I walk you through exactly how to do it in here. So yes, this this is an when when you become aware of this, it's an emotional and physical warning signal that says you must get in the garden. So never suppress when you have any emotion going through you. Don't just shove it down; you'll get stuck. Embrace it and set aside a time. Set aside your seven to sixteen minutes in the morning and work on it. And you don't work on. You don't work on multiple thoughts at once. You work on one thought at a time because one thought's got lots of memories. So that's why you need the 63 days to, to unpack this thing and reconceptualize it and build the new healthy thought. So it takes 21 days to do, to do most of the work. 
after so 20 for 21 days you're doing around 7 to 16 minutes a day maybe 30 minutes max but then for the other 42 days you're spending literally 7 seconds that's all it takes to keep it in your conscious mind for the to build it into a thought that will actually change your behavior pattern so yes these are emotional and physical warning emotional informational and physical warning signals never never ignore the signals self regulate and listen and tune in to what you're thinking what you're feeling what you're choosing what thoughts are popping up what emotions are popping up and then grab those. Now, obviously, you can't do that all day long. So that's why I'm saying allocate a time in the morning where you dedicate. But if something's happening during the day and you keep getting these thoughts coming up, just take 10 minutes, close your eyes, daydream, just let your mind wander, find those intrusive thoughts, let God guide you, and then open your eyes and write them down. Make a list. And whichever one is the top of the list, that's the one you work on first because you basically work on one thought at a time. But this is a lifestyle. That's why this is a recurring thing. And into this app, Sean, what we've done is built the basic process. And then we've got and then we've got all this new information added all the time. So it's getting incredibly content heavy where you can literally be, someone says an, an obnoxious words to you sitting at work and someone speaks, downloads a bunch of toxic words to you at work and you're just like thrown. What do you do? You can literally smile sweetly, go to your office, press the app, how to deal with a toxic person in five steps. And you can quickly take yourself through a five-minute process and get yourself back under control. You direct your mind. That's what I'm teaching. It's wow, mind. Wow. Thank you so much. I, I really think the word of this conversation that stands out even more than even just the subject, revive the mind, getting unstuck, is get in the garden. You know, from this conversation, it's funny because we began in a garden and really, we began again in a garden because if it wasn't for that garden moment, Jesus would have not gone to the cross. The garden was the prequel to the, the cross, which changed the game for humanity. And so our humanity has been destined to be in the garden with God in the beginning, the cool of the day, relationship with him. That's why we're created. But at the same time, to continue healthy relationship, we need to stay in that place of being in the garden, processing our emotion, processing these things that hit us. And ultimately we know it's a process. And so we're talking today about revive the mind, getting unstuck. And I just want to say thank you so much, Dr. Caroline Lee, for joining us and for being a part of this live and speaking into our kingdom culture community and all those that are going to watch this after and those that aren't part of our, our community that are watching it right now. Thank you so much for joining us. And I just I believe that from this conversation, so many people are going to get unstuck and come out of this season stronger. And I'd encourage you, visit Dr. Caroline Leaf's website, get her resources, check out that app, uh, buy her books, all the information's on the screen. You can lock into some of her amazing resources and I know it will powerfully impact your life. And so thank you so much, Kingdom Culture. Before you head out, just watch this last quick video as we close out today's experience. God bless you. Hey, well, that was absolutely amazing. I know for many, it was uh, a lot of information to take in. For a lot of us, a lot of new things were said in new ways. And I'm just believing and praying that this conversation would really echo into your future, transform your thinking, transform your life in a powerful way. But ultimately, you know, from this conversation, the one thing that really stands out the most is getting into the garden. So many people uh, right now in this season, this pandemic has been like a garden for them. It's been a place of processing, a place of uh, being aware of the innermost thoughts of our hearts, 
our intentions, our motives, becoming aware of issues that maybe we never were aware of before, but because we stopped, we've had a chance to lean in and just deal with some stuff. Maybe you're in that space, you're dealing with some hard things right now, you're struggling. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never let Jesus into your life. You know, Jesus had to go through that garden experience because yes, he was God, but he was also fully human. And he he felt and dealt with human emotion. He faced it, like we said, and he also embraced it, uh, allowing himself to take the necessary steps to go to the cross, die a sinless death, taking on the sin of humanity to set us free from the sin that entangles us, the sin that tries to take us out, destroy our lives. But he didn't He didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day and representing what happens to us when we lean into him, let him into our life and say yes to him. We are also raised to new life. We are also given a new life, the life that we were always called to live. But yet because of sin, we're not able to. And so, you know, I want to thank, I want to thank God. I want to thank God for you that are watching, that you're here. You're here watching this for a reason. And I just believe God has a plan for you. He has uh, a purpose for you. And in this moment, the best thing that you can do is to say yes and let him in. He's been knocking on the door of your heart for some time now. Maybe you're watching this, you landed on this by accident, whatever the case may be. I believe God is issuing you an invitation into relationship with him. Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the real deal, that he is God, that he is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised to new life, that the game will change for you, that you will have a transformation of body, soul, and spirit. And so if you're if you're that person today, and maybe you've been sitting on the fence and you're not sure, you know, if you should dive all in and you've been searching out, is God real? Uh, this whole Jesus thing, maybe you're not sure of it all. I believe that today is a moment for you. And I'd love to invite you in just to, to process with me, uh, if I can be a part of this experience with you, to say yes to Jesus. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe you're the real deal. And I invite you into my life. I receive your forgiveness. I believe that you were raised from the dead on the third day to set me free from all the dead things in my life, the things that are causing death in my life. Today is a new day. I want to start a relationship. I don't want religion. I want a relationship with you that's real. I want friendship. If you said that, if you opened your heart for the first time, I want to encourage you, email us at prayer at kingdomculture.ca. The information is on the screen. We'd love to get some stuff to you, some resource to you, invest in you, also be a part of your journey and pray with you. But for everybody else watching, I want to pray that in this season, that God would revive our minds, that God would take us from being stuck Take us from where we've been stuck and not moving forward. Some of us feel paralyzed in our fear. We fear, feel paralyzed in the struggles that we're dealing with mentally. We feel paralyzed. Maybe it's physically. Whatever the case may be, God wants to break the paralysis that's causing us to stay stuck. And, and this is just one step forward, reviving the mind, focusing on the things that God wants us to focus on. I opened it up with Colossians. I have a verse in Colossians talking about how we're to keep our mind fixed 
on things above. I pray that in this season, God would renew your mind, revive your mind, help you to think different about him, but also your situation and ultimately yourself in this season. I believe God has a plan for you to change the game, the trajectory, the path you've been on isn't necessarily the path you're called to walk and live on the rest of your life. God has transformation for you. He has healing for you. It's part of your inheritance. And I just pray, God, that today would be a game-changing day for those that are watching, that we would just have new perspectives, a renewed way of thinking in Jesus' name, getting us unstuck in the place that we've been stuck. Kingdom Culture, thank you for tuning in. It was an incredible conversation. I encourage you, share it, like it, Tell people about this YouTube channel. I know it will bless so many people, but for now, we'll see you next time.